Tom Savage of Three Red Kings. Tom, um, I think we're live across uh, all three platforms as we speak, uh, Periscope, um, Facebook, and um, YouTube. Uh, neither of us have been kicked off uh, any platforms uh, in, in the last few weeks. And again, neither of us have tried to... Uh, overthrow the government uh, as, yes. as, as of yet so I, I think we're all safe there and uh, neither of us have decided to add parlor to our uh, our broadcast platforms so we seem to be um, safe enough for now um, unless we uh, decide to try to overthrow the Pro 14 or, 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 or take over uh, domestic rugby competition I think we should be alright but speaking of domestic rugby competition Tom Munster versus Connacht uh, at the weekend very very strange game in so far as up to 63 minutes uh i think it it or was it i think munster got the, that that penalty in the 63rd minute to kind of put them 16 13 ahead and you just thought yeah 16 13 two tries and you just could never see connacht getting two tries on the basis of how we saw them play up until that point. Until yeah. It was the 78th minute when they finally got that try. And you were still thinking, no, on, on the balance of play, on how comfortable Munster looked uh, defensively, you just, you literally could not see where Connacht were going to pull two tries out of. But in in, in typical Munster fashion, we, we, we almost, well, I won't say typical Munster fashion because that'd be unfair, but we almost tried to find a way to lose it at the end. Uh, it did take yeah. a, 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 an incredibly brave defensive set, albeit maybe a bit of a naive Connacht attacking set to, to end the game. And I think we saw the importance and the how crucial a player Tigburn is to Munster in those final uh, few minutes of the game, but uh, uh, a, a, an absorbing contest. And I think you know sometimes when we when we just sit back and enjoy a game of rugby without analysing it to the nth degree, it was bloody good entertainment. Oh, it really was. Like, like I was there. I was saying earlier on my own podcast about how uh, it was seventy six minutes really of pretty good control from Munster over the, over the course of the game, and then just nine minutes of chaos. And like when you look at how how we managed that last nine minutes, I suppose um, left a lot to be desired. Um, Connacht did pretty well during the game. I, I thought Munster handled them pretty well from a defensive perspective. Uh, shut them down physically. Won a whole lot of collisions. Set piece. Uh, did a good job limiting them, limiting the scope of what they were able to do there. Uh, managed Connacht's kicking game, which I think was a huge factor in their win over Leinster a week before. Uh, and, you know, you, like you said, they're 16 points to three with the, uh, you know, coming into the last five minutes. You think, look, that's a pretty unassailable uh, lead. But then things just started to get out of hand. And it's like you look for what's the moment that can kind of swing this and, and, and kind of, you know, turn a, a game that's very much in control to something that's way kind of out, out of control. I think it was the yellow card, Rory Scannell's yellow card, and I get it. I, I get why he was looking to go after the ball there and make a big turnover, you know, and 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 get get Munster rolling. He's coming off the bench, wants to make an impact. For me, I'm thinking maybe you leave that one, you know, as in you can kind of see that the way that the breakdown has been going, Munster had been conceding a fair number of penalties over the last, you know, for for the previous few minutes up until that. Maybe maybe leave that. Maybe don't leave that leave that breakdown entry. We won the collision. Stick with that. But it ended up uh, being a yellow card. And from there, uh, it just kind of, like, through a mixture of losing control of the game and a bit of bad luck, it ended up with uh, a lot of um, 
uh, defensive pressure, you know, because again, what, what the reason why I say luck is Connacht scored their try for good value for it, I think, in the moment. Uh, Monster kicked off with what 40 seconds left in the game, yeah, uh, kicked deep. Were Hem and Connacht in down there, and if Jack Carthy's left leg doesn't slip, that's not a high tackle penalty from Tyke Byrne because uh, he was always going low. If Jack Carthy doesn't slip, that isn't a penalty, and Connacht don't have that opportunity to launch off the lineup. And when you're down to uh, 14 men, and you've already conceded a few penalties now for breakdown entries, you kind of have to leave those breakdowns alone. So you're dealing with a whole lot of quick ball from Connacht after that lineup. And then you start ending up in a situation then where it becomes quite difficult to stop. Billy Holland had a fantastic tackle, uh, try saver, match saver perhaps, and then it ended up in the you know the the, the very end with Connacht going for a five meter scrum against thirteen men, uh, and somehow coming away with the wrong decision. I I think I understand what the thinking behind it was. I think what they wanted was to go and well we'll get a try in a central area so the conversion is really easy rather than go, let's go all the way out to the edges and get right over in the corner and have a difficult kick to win it. I think that's probably what maybe the thought process was there. But whatever happened, I think, you know, Munster fronted up really well. The close-range defence had been really good all night. And uh, I think that, you know, Ty Burns played there right at the end. Two really good shots. Like, I mean, he was outstanding and ended up winning the game for Munster. But Connacht will be kicking themselves. Like, I mean, they should have won it. You look, you look at the possession that they had at the end, the position where they were against 13 men, they really should have come away with a win there. And if they had, Munster would be looking for answers as to like how the hell did it get out of the out of, out of control so quickly. Yeah, and I suppose, look, you, you just have to look at the table now. Uh, Munster played 9-1-8 and on 37 points, Connacht have a 5-4 and four record from their nine games and standing on 27 points. So 11 clear of Connacht. Um, you know, then you have Scarlets on twenty four, having played ten. So I don't think any, I, I don't think Scarlets, Blues, or anyone below below Connacht really had a, had a prayers chance of catching Munster as it was. I think that has, and I think they've, I think they've actually copper fastened that that final spot now. But there are some interesting subplots in that. You know, we've seen the fixture chaos that has come with the post moment of the the suspension of the fixtures for the Champions Cup and the possibility that Munster-Leinster might get slotted in there. And if you look at the uh, at Leinster bouncing back f- uh, and getting that win over Ulster, you now have to look that Leinster have very much taken, I suppose, control of Conference A back in their own hands with uh, eight wins from nine, uh, 41 points, two games in hand on Ulster, uh, five points behind them. And, you know, if they were to beat monster it would close the gap you'd imagine to you know uh, with the it would close the gap to a point if not it, we, we certainly wouldn't hope that it would it would draw them level with ulster but it could it, you know if they were to beat monster it could it could conceivably take them to within a point of ulster with a game in hand and when you consider the how they've been faring up against some of the other opposition it would be hard to see leinster dropping any points there but i suppose in a roundabout way tom monster leinster still has a fairly big weight of importance attached to it and that you know if if Munster are to avoid Leinster in a Pro 14 final then it would be nice to kind of give them a few things to think about by uh, by uh, putting them under pressure to secure the top spot in Conference A. Yeah look I, I think from from a Munster perspective they'd be looking at any Leinster game which you know there's talk of it coming in, in in the next two weeks to get that fixture rescheduled for them. Munster will want to deal with Leinster full on like 
you know, full full strength 23 against full strength 23 and to just have a cut off them. Uh, I think the way Munster have been playing this year so far, they will want to match themselves against the best and the best is still Leinster right now. You know, you look at the way that, uh, especially in that, that opening, kind of the opening 10 or 15 minutes of the second half against Ulster, that's when, when Leinster really, really turned it on and they're missing a few guys. Like, you know, they were missing Dan Levy, James Lowe. They're still missing Ty Furlong. You look at that and you go that that again was a pretty impressive demonstration as to where Leinster are at at the moment, uh, and from uh, you know from, from a Munster perspective, I'm sure they'd be looking at that game and going look that they would have, would, would have had a whole lot of confidence going into that game in St Stephen's Day, you know, thinking they would have had with the the big win over Claremont away, looking to try and back that up again with a home game against Leinster. Uh, I, I think that both sides would really, really like that game. And I think both sides would kind of like to see where they're at against each other to a certain extent. Um, when you look at Conference A, I, I think I think Munster, if they were to look at two two teams and go, look, I certainly think we'd beat this team over that team. I think you'd say that might be Ulster at the moment. Um, but at the same time, I, I think Ulster are, are, are quite strong. They've certainly improved this year. But I would say that, you know, from a Munster perspective now, looking at that Leinster game, if, if it can be if it can happen in the next couple of weeks, that would be a really good level check to see where Munster are at, you know, after that Pro 12 semi or Pro 14 semi-final a couple of months ago, to see how the development has gone since then. And to kind of just get a just get a kind of a just a, a level check really to see see where they're at, see where Leinster are at at the moment, and uh just kind of have a bit of a straightener and see what happens. Yeah, and I suppose look the the fact that the, uh, those European Champions Cup and Challenge Cup games have been temporarily suspended. I think we've seen the LNR, the, the French uh, League, have already penciled in fixtures, domestic fixtures, for those weekends. I suppose, really, Tom, it is now about uh, if cross-border travel is, is suspended. It's, it's really about maximising the calendar for every week that we can so that there are, you know, if we don't play one competition one weekend but we have an opportunity to play games in another competition, then I think we should we should very much grasp it and take it. And if that means refixing Munster-Leinster in those kind of windows, then uh, let's go for it. Yeah, I, I, I think it would make sense. Uh, you look at the Gallagher Premiership, I think they've taken the opposite um, the opposite approach. They're uh, having just two weeks off. Um, maybe they feel that that, that that is for the best for them. I think that uh, if it's possible to run the cancelled Munster-Denster game, that, that is certainly something worth looking at. Uh, you look at some of the other games um, that, that, that may possibly go ahead that were cancelled, it might ease things up a little bit because there was, I think there was, a, looking at the schedule there, it looked like there was going to be a whole lot of games during the test window. A lot of disruption there as well. I think it would suit everybody if they could kind of clear up a little bit of that backlog with some of the ones that were called off. Maybe there's a scope to do uh, Glasgow-Edinburgh, which was called off there last weekend. Maybe they can do that this weekend. Look, I, I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, I think that, like I said, I think it would be something, you know, two weeks off. This is, this is usually the kind of the prime time time of the year when it comes to the the, the, the Champions Cup. So I think it would be good to get that, you know, get, get a few games in. And keep momentum going. You know, you want to look at it as a sort of a, 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 a Ireland trial, a kind of a to see where people are at like that. I think it might be a good one. Um, I, I, I think from, from the Pro 14 perspective, looking at how compressed the rest of the season is looking like it's going to be. Like you look at the end of, um, it's. I think we're looking to finish up at the end of March. I think if the, any two weeks they get where there's a, a bit of blank space, I think that would make a whole lot of sense to make sure that you know, again, there's a bit of player welfare. You're making sure you're not compressing too many games into too many weeks. 
I think it might be a good idea to use these two weeks that they were going to be playing anyway and uh, to try and get those games done. Yeah, I understand that, Tom. And I suppose, look, it, it is, um, you know, th- th- those games and those windows, like you said, huge, huge opportunities to to try and get those uh, fixtures or to maximize the, the weekends and the and the windows that we do have because with the with with the pandemic and how it is uh, developing it really it's i suppose we we've kind of seen across all the different sports it's about being able to adapt to the opportunities that you do have while making common sense or making the right decisions from a public health point of view and i, I think you know the days of calendars being set in stone and fixtures being set in stone it's it's far from ideal but you know teams are just gonna it, it is i suppose it, once it's the same for everybody and everyone's on a, on, on a relatively level playing field which i think for the most part we are i think it's just a case of guys look we're just gonna have to get on with this grit and bear it for another for another season or half season or whichever way it pans out and uh you know we'll, we'll get back to normal uh, normal pre-ordained schedules when we can Oh, yeah, look, this year, I think, was it Johan van Kron said it, and he's been saying it all year, really. You have to be adaptable. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, as in, a, a game can get, can get cancelled. Like, Glasgow and Edinburgh was cancelled, like, what? Like, a few hours before kickoff? And that, that was because of the weather. So, like, you just really have to just take each week and just go, look, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. There's no such thing as it being set in stone. Like, even for myself, for, for matches coming up, normally I would be looking at games a number of weeks in advance. I'm not even bothering doing that now because you don't know when these games are going to be called off. So you could just end up wasting your time. So, like, again, you look at this, like, the Claremont thing, Munster, we're probably going to be looking over the last week or two, checking in on Claremont, seeing what they're, seeing what they're about, making plans for that. And now, look, who knows when they'll play Claremont or if they'll play, play Claremont. Because I'm not sure where those Champions Cup games go. I'm not sure where they actually can manage to fit them in, you know, especially when they're looking to play uh, a, a, a double-legged quarterfinal. It's all up in the air. But look, you just can't take anything at the moment that it's like that anything is definitely going to happen. They don't know. They think the Six Nations is going to happen. We don't know. It's just one of those things you just have to roll roll with the punches and hopefully by the time it's all said and done, everybody's still standing, everybody's still somewhat solvent and they can go back to getting as many games and as many gates as they want. Yeah, and look, I suppose you'd have to look at that Six Nations as well. I know Bernard Laporte coming out today saying no need to be alarmed and, and France have named their panel for the Six Nations. So, uh, you know, they they do seem to be pretty determined to forge ahead with the with the Six Nations uh, on that basis, you'd imagine, with it, with it probably kicking off in February. So, um, you know, it, it they seem to be kind of cautious around it but at the same time relatively certain that they will be able to get the six nations games played i suppose look you have to look at it too it is it is a smaller playing pool it's it's it's, it's probably a more controlled environment than the club games so if it if if any competition or tournament was to have a chance it would be the six nations but again like we said tom it's a uh, these these uh, situations are fluid at best yeah, I mean, look, I, th- I think when you look at the, the Six Nations, it is controllable because you'll have your match day 23 plus a few traveling reserves, perhaps your coaching staff, the attached people, rather than 10 or 12, you know, or f- 14 teams, you know, from France going to the UK, coming back into the from, from the UK, going over to Ireland, coming back in from Ireland as well. You know, because it's not exactly, we're not exactly, you know, in a good place with COVID at the moment either. So you're looking at that and thinking... It's just 
easier for the Six Nations to go ahead, and it's, I would say, incrementally more important for the unions to, to get that tournament done. Plus, it's that little bit of time in the future as well. I think there's a hope that maybe things will have calmed down a little bit by you know, the, the middle of February and kind of hope from there that they can start building and getting getting those games done and then being in a, in a position come March, April, where maybe the COVID numbers have gone down, maybe you can get crowds back in, maybe limited numbers. That's the hope. Yeah, speaking of hope, and uh, Paul O'Connell joining the Irish backroom staff as forwards coach uh, this week, Tom, brings a huge amount of experience, has played at the very highest level, um, you know, in some of the biggest games, in, in you know, for Ireland and also, I suppose, for the, for the Lions, although I, I think I looked at his Lions record, only seven caps, I think 2013 was dogged by injury. Uh, and he he did seem to have no luck with regards to injury on with 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 Lions tours. But um, what is that going to mean for the Irish setup? Is is he is is the line out the primary area where we're going to see Paul O'Connell's influence? I mean, it was something that he ran for Munster and for Ireland, and 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 you know we we know his line out capabilities and prowess. Is it is it just about line out or or, or is it uh, is it a broader kind of uh, scope for Paul O'Connell? I know that Easterby um is is moving to the defense only coach now um in 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 that in the in the coaching ticket. So what what do you expect from this move? Uh, I think with with, with O'Connell they'll have him focus on line out, line out mall, line out defense, mall defense. Um, and it, it makes it makes sense. Uh, you know, he's a guy who's an iconic player. Look, there's no getting away how iconic Paul O'Connell is. You go to any rugby rugby fan going and, on, and ask him, do you know who Paul O'Connell is? They know who Paul O'Connell is. He transcends the Irish game, you know. And you look at hiring him as a relatively inexperienced coach. I mean, look, he is a relatively inexperienced coach. It's not without risk. It's not without risk. But if you would look at anybody who can make it work, it would be Paul O'Connell. Uh, so, like, you look at what the players will look at him; they will come in and they will look. They will they will play their guts out for him. Um, he then will have to bring technical expertise. He will have to, you know, the the pressure of the test game. He will have to come in and uh, analyze opposition, uh, line out coaches, forward coaches, what they're doing. Uh, have his own work then subject to analysis and. Uh, deconstruction by opposition coaches and analysts as well. Uh, it'll be a big step up from the last time he was involved in the pro game, which was with Stade Francais, which didn't really work uh, for a number of reasons that were, you know, from from what you hear, nothing at all to do with Paul O'Connell. But you look at that and go, I, I can see exactly the way that it would work, but it isn't without risk. Because again, when you look at iconic players at times, I think when they come into a coaching situation, uh, the general fan population look at them and judge them on their record as players and go, well, he was an iconic player, world-class. He will be the same as a coach. I think there will be a bit of betting in time that will have to come in. Uh, he will have to get his ideas across to the players in a relatively short period of time. They're going to have, uh, I'm not sure if they've had Christmas camps or anything uh, around. I, I, I don't think we've heard about them. This time around, uh, they will have a, a bubble for the, the the Six Nations, so they'll need a fair bit of time there to get basically just get what what plans they're doing, how much are they going to change, how much are they going to keep, little bits and pieces he's going to look to try and bring in. Uh, but it, like I said, it isn't about risk, but I think that the players will want to play for Paul O'Connell. They will want to play their guts out for him. And look, when you look at 
the respect he has universally here, not just as a player, but like as in he was always regarded as a, a deep thinker about the game, especially in the, 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 the forward aspects of it, the lineup aspect of it. I can see how it would be successful. And it's something I'm really looking forward to seeing what kind of uh, approach he brings in, what kind of schemes he implements, and how he does in uh, up against very tough opposition in France, in England, in Wales, who I think can only get better from where they are as well. Look, it's when you look at the club game, it's every week. And I think he mentioned a couple of months ago on the press that the grind of every week with club rugby wasn't really something that he was mad about. With the international game, there's less grind, but the pressure and the scale is bigger. So uh, that'll be something. It'll be interesting to see how he, how he adapts. Because you look at a player and you you wonder what kind of coach they're going to be. I think Ron O'Gara has shown that he went the long way around. You know, he went through Racing. As he was, I think he was a kicking coach, defense coach. Ended up going to the Crusaders, back now with La Rochelle, and doing fantastically well there as well. It can work. I think it can work for Paul O'Connell as well. I'm very interested to see how it'll go. Yeah, same as uh, Tom Munster's next game is, uh, as we speak, their next game is scheduled for the 31st, which I think is the refixed game with Benetton. Uh, hard to see a game scheduled for the weekend of 16th or 17th at this stage. It's it's probably too short notice, but you'd imagine that there will be one on the 24th uh, if we're to avail of that uh, that window. Uh, Tom, um, I know it's, it's hard to plan your content, but uh, give us an old hint to us what might be coming up on the Patreon page. Oh, well, this week, um, I'm going to be looking at Munster's strike moves off the lineup. Uh, I'm going to be looking at their last couple of games against Claremont, against Ulster, and last time out against Connacht. I'm also going to be just kind of seeing where Munster are at at the moment, considering that we've got a little bit of break, uh, just to see where they are after roughly around half a season um, in both tournaments, and just kind of building from there. That's all going to be on patreon.com forward slash Tree Kings for as little as two euro a month. Excellent stuff, Tom. Uh, thanks for joining us this evening, and we will catch up with you again, hopefully, once we have some uh, information on Monsters fixtures, and uh, we'll, we'll uh, be back with the breakdown.